Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. are getting crinkled up by now. Hopefully they got some, some writing, some marks, some kind of something in there to know that you've been there a few times. We're going to continue on with our Beatitude series. It is the longest-running series in the ministry of Brother Roberts so far. I got a lot of ministry left, I hope. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, And seeing the multitudes, he, speaking of Jesus, went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. How many of you can quote this by now? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they're going to see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Thank you for standing in honor of the Word of God. And uh, just kind of what I've been doing for a while here is a little bit of recap, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on it this morning, but we said that the first, where we started uh, sometime around the 1st of January with, uh, uh, we talked about the, the challenges of the, of the Beatitudes. Has anybody ever had a difficult time having the right attitude besides me? Some of y'all aren't telling the truth, uh, but I mean... Sometimes I don't have a, a, a difficult time having the right attitude, but sometimes I have a hard time maintaining the right attitude. It, it starts with that thought that goes through your mind and said, oh, no, they didn't. <laughs> you didn't, you know, how many of you had, had teenage children? I looked at my children one day and I said, my Lord, if I'd have known that you'd grow up to talk to me like that, I would have never taught you the art of language. We'd have done sign language, so I wouldn't know what you were saying, right? But there are challenges, and we talked about that. We spent some time talking about that it's a challenge to have that right attitude, and we discussed how that having the right attitude, while the Bible says it's a blessing, we also looked at the, that word that is used there for blessing also means maturity. And so having the right attitude is a sign of maturity, and uh, it, it really is, and so I find it easier, uh, brother, brother Barr, Brother Jeremy Barr looked at me one time, and I, I think uh, uh, their littlest one was out, I think we were playing cornhole, and he got in the middle of a men's game of cornhole, and Dad was like, Robin, I'm like, leave that baby alone. And, and you know, I, I stepped in, and get, we just stopped the game and gave him a few moments to throw some, some of the bags at the cornhole, and Brother Barr says, typical grandpa. It's an attitude, right? And I wasn't mad at him because when I was his age, I might have had his particular perspective or attitude. But now that I'm a grandpa, 
It's just the facts, ma'am. Sorry. Go cry somewhere else because just what it is, right? Grandparent. I mean, uh, it's just what it is. You know, my daughter, she, she gets mad about it, but you, you, she, you'd have beat us to death for doing something like that. Now you're encouraging it. You weren't grandchildren. And until you have grandchildren, you don't understand. And so my point is this, is that over time and maturity, your attitude changes. What I would have been really upset about for my children when they did it as children, as I've matured and become hopefully a, a, a more rounded person in other ways besides the natural, uh, uh, what, what happens is, is your attitude, your perspective changes. And that's really what we're talking about. But we said that if we can look at each of these challenges and we tie them or said that each one is linked to, right? He said, blessed are, and then there's a, there's, they shall be. And each one of those is linked to a specific attitude that ultimately is going to lead us to a promise. And so this first and this last, so the first beatitude and the last beatitude we said were tied to the same promise, which I believe is the greatest promise in the entire Bible. Jesus said it this way, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's no benefit, there's no blessing, there's no greater thing that could ever happen to any of us than to make it to heaven. Amen? Our world has lost perspective, have lost sight of the ultimate goal. They just think that everybody's going to make it to heaven, but there are specific guidelines in the Word of God for those that are going to attain heaven. And one of those is an attitude, right? Having the right attitude. But as I approach life, the challenges of, of becoming that, those everyday things, some of them are hard, but there are challenges. It's, it's difficult to have the right attitude about the things of God on a consistent basis. This thing called life gets in the way. Amen? And, uh, you know, I, I intended to pray. I intended to read my Bible. I intended to spend more time in the Word. I intended, there's a lot of intention, right? But until I have the right perspective, it's not just the, my emotion, that's certainly part of it, but until I have the right perspective and I become to that place of maturity, and, and, and the truth is, in many ways, I've achieved some of those things, and in many ways, I have not. And the truth would be the same for you as well. The second one, or, or actually the third one, but the number two in line, would be being poor in spirit, recognizing, and I've kind of condensed it down to this one point, that ind indisputable fact that I am, that we are spiritually destitute. What do you mean by that? I mean that you don't have any ability whatsoever to change your spiritual situation apart from the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. I know people, listen, understand this, we, we've got to grasp this in our mentality because it fights against our innate human nature. It's innate in you to think that you can save yourself. You cannot save yourself, but for the blood of Jesus, but for the cross of Calvary, we are all lost and headed to a devil's hell. I know the world, is, they don't appreciate that, they don't want to hear that. But there is a truth of God's word, right? And so we can't do that. But the, that, the, the, the beatitude uh, that we talked about here was so important, right? Um, you know, that, that being poor in spirit. And, and then that was linked also to the last beatitude, to that last beatitude, the one that Brother Roberts has been very transparent with you and told you that I don't like it. He said, right, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I don't want to be persecuted for anybody's sake. Right? I don't want I, 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 I've not seen that line of people lining up, oh, please let me suffer. Let me, right? That line is much shorter than the donut line was this morning. 
I promise you, I don't know why, but it, it is. And so most of us just aren't willing to suffer if we don't have to. We're not willing to be abused. We're not willing to die without reason. But when we, listen, when we get that right perspective, there's a maybe in my spirit this morning, right? There's a maybe. If it, if it meant for the sake of righteousness or for the kingdom of God, why? Because it's tied to a benefit. It's tied to a promise. The, the perspective of us is that this life is everything, but this life is a moment. It's a whisper in time, right? And so we went on a little bit and, and talked about the blessed are they that mourn because they're going to be comforted. And certainly we shall be comforted. The Word of God tells us. And so we're comforted by God's presence. We're comforted by God's Word. But the greatest comfort that you will ever have, the greatest comfort that you can ever know as a person is being able to know that every sin in your life is covered by the blood of Jesus. Every fault, every failure, everything that disqualifies me from being a part of God's kingdom is under the blood. We, we don't sing enough songs. Sister Maddie's not in here. We don't sing enough songs about the blood anymore, right? Every fault, every failure, everything, right? Jesus forgave all my trespasses. The, the Bible says he blotted them out. I know that's important. Why is that important? Because there's a difference between blotting them out. If, if you get a receipt and they write on the bottom, paid for, there's a record. If they, if they forgive something and they just line it out, there's a record. But when you blot something out, go back and read, it was literally covered up. That paper was blotted with something over that paper, so there's no longer a record what, the, what, what, that's not, it's not like you just for, were forgiven the debt. There's no longer a record of anything wrong that you've ever done once it's under the blood. And, and we need to understand that. Right? Why? Because he said he took it out of the way, the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, and nailed it to his cross. Then last week we talked about blessed are the meek and an arrogant, and I'm sorry, not last week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we talked about blessed are the meek and we live in an arrogant and overwhelmingly rude world. It's a challenge to remain meek. We talk about traffic, but sometimes anybody ever see something on here that irritated you and you just wanted to put them on blast? Moses was the meekest man, right? Okay, why? It's a challenge, but we need to be. Why? Because they shall inherit the earth. And we discovered that the earth is not referring to a piece of property or a piece of dirt somewhere, but it's the arena of our lives. It's talking about the place where we live, where our lives happen. And in a real sense, we're attaining victory through meekness. I, I, know, I know it's very difficult, right? I, the Old Testament writer said it this way, if I hold my peace... Let me, let me give you some New Testament interpretation for it. Shut your mouth. Don't say nothing. What? If I hold my peace and let the Lord fight my battle. We used to sing that song, right? Victory, victory shall be mine. And so in an arrogant, prideful, demanding world, meekness is not weakness, right? But I've got to humble myself. I've got to be quiet. Why? Because there's an arena. It's so hard sometimes not to... Help me out. You with me? It's difficult sometimes. What in the world is going on? Why in the world? You know, what, what, what's happening here? I don't understand, right? Why? Because there is, there is an arena. But I've got to learn how to trust God in every situation in my life, even the ugly ones, even the ones that I don't want to go. Why? Because it's a blessing to have that final victory in my life. And then last week we dug relatively 
quickly into verse 6. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Because the challenge to remain or the challenge to continue to pursue the presence of God and the things of God, that's a, that's a challenge. But the promise is they shall be filled. What are we going to be filled with? We're going to be filled with God's righteousness. Isn't it so much better to be filled with the righteousness of God than it is the righteousness of man? Why? Because the very best that you can do, the very best that I can do, is no good before God, right? Isaiah told us last week, come and buy water. All you people that don't have money, anybody in that category this morning, you can come and purchase through faith, right? Abraham believed God, and it was imputed or accounted to him as righteousness. Paul said that I might be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is a legal thing or of the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want us to look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Tell your neighbor, they shall obtain mercy. Now, we talked about this when we looked at the challenge. Mercy is what we said is withholding punishment even when it's deserved, right? I used to have that saying. I don't say it much anymore. I used to say it this way. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but Jeff's going to get just a little bit. I found out that was the wrong attitude, and hopefully I've matured from that. But this is the challenge. This is the rub to withhold judgment or punishment when I'm right, when I have the right and the privilege when, right, somebody's got that shoe in their mouth up to the laces. It, I know my dad told me, you can't fix stupid, son. He's right. You, you can't. You know, it is, right? But it's so hard to have mercy in some situations. Amen? Y'all look a little tired this morning. It, it really is. But here's what we said. The truth is there's nowhere in life in our humanity that we imitate God more than when we show someone else mercy. Why? Because mercy is a choice. When I, when I could, or even when I think I should, and I choose not to punish, I choose not to blast, I choose not to rip them a new one. Hello? Come on, be honest about it. You know, man, you said something to me, and I'm like, you did not say that to me. All right? Now, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, when your children are teenagers, they sometimes need a little justice. They need a little down-to-earthism, okay? Now, I know some of you are like, man, you, you were such a mean dad. If my daughter or my son were here, they'd tell you, you were such a mean dad. No, but I was, I, I was a pretty straight dad. I said it, I meant it, I did it. I, I didn't lie to him, right? And, and, and I, I, now I'm a grandpa. Baby, stop that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And, and my daughter is not a fan of it, Brother Junior, because when I, I see my grandbabies doing something, I'll say, do you see what your children are doing? <laughs> now, when you're a grandparent, you can do this, and I'm telling you, this is how it ought to be. I, I, you, this is not Bible, this is opinion. But when I see them doing something, and my daughter says, well, why don't you stop them? Not my job. <laughs> Nothing here says, Daddy, I'm a grandfather. And, and so that's your baby, you need to stop it. I don't have to be the bad guy anymore. I had to be the bad guy with you. I had to pop you in that mouth, I paid for all that dental work, if you were... 
I know it's, it's 2021, Brother Roberts, you can't say that anymore. Right? But the truth is, when that baby's doing something, it ain't my job. I'll clean up the mess, but you, mom and daddy, right? And so mercy is an attitude that we choose. All right? I, I had the choice when my children were acting up whether I would beat them to death or just half to death. They, they thought I did. I promise you I didn't, right? But someone said, well, you know, I, I just couldn't help myself. You know, when they did, you fill in the blank, I just had to. Well, that's not true. One, you probably wanted to, right? And, and, and you, you probably could help yourself, but I am so glad that the Lord is not like some of us because what I have found, what I have gained the perspective of on mercy is that I want to be a giver of mercy. Now, I, I don't always do so because I know for sure that sooner or later, and most times it's sooner, I'm going to need some mercy, right? And so here's, what, here's how you get mercy by giving mercy. And so I, I told you in the, in we, the first time we talked about mercy that mercy is the ultimate sign of maturity, showing compassion, showing kindness on someone when you have the power the authority or the right to punish or harm them. And so we, we looked at mercy and said there are two things about mercy. First off, mercy is an attitude that involves itself into someone else's misery, into the pain and the suffering of their neighbor. We looked at the, at the, at the, at the, the Good Samaritan and we talked about that. And, and the truth is, in 2021, a lot of people have a lot of opinions, but they're not really willing to involve themselves. Man, that's a bad situation. Y'all ought to fix that mess. Anybody? Come on, be honest. That's, that's how we live in 2021. We, we are very opinionated, and we'll even put it out on social media and tell everybody how they ought to do something, but there's a difference in, in being merciful and just being compassionate. Right? It's of the Lord's compassions and his mercies that we're not consumed. And I'm glad that God goes beyond compassion and he steps in and involved himself into my situation. It would have been one thing for the Lord to look at us as humanity and said, there's no hope for them, there's no help for them, they're sinners, they, they're never going to be what I intended to be. But he didn't stop there. Mercy stepped into our situation. Mercy, what was born of a virgin, right? Mercy was in that little manger. Mercy made its way all the way to that old rugged cross and involved itself into my situation. So it doesn't just feel for him, it becomes active. And that's the, the difference between compassion and mercy. The second thing we said about mercy is that mercy is obtainable. Now, if you know Brother Roberts, you know this is my candy stick. If this was a lollipop and you had it in your hand, I would take it from you, even if you had had it in your mouth. Not going to lie about it. I'm not worried about cooties or germs. I love the fact that mercy is obtainable. Well, what do you mean, right? The, the, the Bible tells us, let us therefore, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly under the throne, right, of grace, that we might obtain. Come on, when you obtain something, you're not working for it, you're not earning it, you just simply go over and pick it up. It's there. It's available for you. And find the grace of God, right, that's going to help me in the time of need. And I'm so glad that no matter what Sunday or Wednesday or Tuesday or Monday, that if I need some mercy, I can find an altar, and I can just go into that altar. I can come boldly to the throne of grace, and I can pick up the mercy of God. 
Now, I'm telling you, I just absolutely love the fact that it's obtainable. But there's a challenge that goes with it. Because I told you the most difficult thing about mercy is where we imitate God. The reality is, I love the fact that I can get mercy, but in my life, mercy must also be obtainable. What does that mean? That means i got to forgive people who do me wrong. Whoa, ho, 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 hold on. No, no, because there's a principle in Scripture. If we don't forgive our brother, he won't, he won't forgive us. Right? That, that's a principle in Scripture. If I've, got forgive, if I've got unforgiveness in my heart, then the Lord will not and cannot forgive me. But, right, right, uh, understand that, right? And we get that principle. And so what has to happen in our lives is when that brother who's done something wrong slapped you in that face and says, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? The caption is, you got him down on the floor. Uh, no, I'm sorry, that was before Christ. <laughs> Truth of the matter is, his hands probably came out not in praise, but in chokehold. <laughs> Be honest. Somebody slapped you in your face? Come on. And then says, I'm sorry. You what? We're going down in here. It's, gone, it's on. I mean, we, I'm going to teach you what Ali taught Foreman. I, you, you understand what I'm saying? You, somebody, they come up to you, and it's not so much a slap in the face, but they said something. They did something you knew was absolutely wrong, and now here's the real challenge for mercy, that my mercy has to be just as obtainable as God's mercy. That's not easy stuff. How many of y'all are married? Pastor's mom, is, Sister Linda Staten, is a tremendous woman of God, and I love her so much. But I remember back in the day that she would have a little saying when Bishop would do something that wasn't so proper or something that upset her, and he would say, Honey, will you forgive me? And I remember, Pastor would tell you, Eventually. She said, I'm working up to it. Anybody ever been there? I'm going to get over this, but you need to give me some time. Aren't you so thankful that God's not like us? Aren't you thankful that we go, God, can you forgive me? It's going to take me a little time. There'd be a lot of people standing around the altar. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm waiting on the Lord to forgive me. It would be difficult, right? And so the challenge is real. But today, I want us to look at, at some things about the benefit because there's something really specific about mercy that's different than the other Beatitudes. Because blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It's the only Beatitude where the blessing and the benefit are the same thing. It's the only Beatitude where the challenge and the benefit are the same thing. And so it's really hard, right? And so when we talk about this, I'm going to start this way. Where does mercy come from? Have you ever wondered that? Right? Ask your neighbor, where does mercy come from? Did they know? They didn't even guess. Y'all are, are horrible this morning. We ought to work on some of this. Here, let me, let me see if I can help you understand where mercy came from. In the first three Beatitudes, we saw 
the blessings in people who were, I'm going to put these three in a category of empty, right? They were poverty stricken. They were poor in spirit. They were grieving or mourning over sin and the misery of their condition. And then they were accepting hardships and accusations of life in a spirit of meekness. These are difficult things that would empty out the spirit. Then in verse 6, we saw last week that that condition of emptiness was followed by a hunger and a thirst for the presence of God or for the righteousness of God. And so now in this last portion of the Beatitude, there are going to, we're going to look at three more of these different Beatitudes. We're going, to look at, we're, we're going to look at mercy and purity and peacemaking. But these are the things that, so the first three empty us out. The, the, the key is hungering and thirsting, but we're going to look at the next three, and these next three are really how that place is filled with the hunger. And so the, the answer to our first question is this, is that mercy can only come from a heart that has first felt its own spiritual bankruptcy. When you talk about mercy, where does mercy come from? Mercy has to come first from the heart, but it can only come from a heart that is empty, a, a heart that has been poor in spirit, a heart that is mourned over sin, and a heart that is really steeped in meekness. Now, un understand this. If you went back and looked at these attributes of poor in spirit and, and mourning over sin and, and being in meekness, you would find that those are attributes of Almighty God. You would find those, each one of those in Scripture, and I didn't take the time to, to write them all down, but the heart Listen, mercy comes from the heart that has come to a place where it's grieving over its own sin and where it's learned to wait meekly on the timing of the Lord. And so the mercy of God in, in itself is the same thing as the blessing of God. And so here's, here's what I'm saying. Mercy will grow in the heart, in a broken heart like a fruit. It flourishes in the heart. It's produced by a, by a meek spirit, and it literally goes crazy in a soul that is hungering and thirsting for the presence of God. And so I'm not trying to confuse you, I'm not trying to uh, double speak this, but mercy comes from mercy. The only way that you can get mercy is to give mercy. It sounds crazy, right? But if you don't have mercy, you can't get mercy. Well, that's kind of like, right, if you don't have money, you can't get things. But we learned last week, come on, all you people that got no money, come and buy. And buy the expensive stuff. Buy the thing that you could never purchase on your own. And so in the economy of humanity, it makes no sense. How can I get mercy if I don't have mercy and God's the only one that's got mercy? Because the Lord said, when you come to him, I'm going to let you purchase something that you could not buy because money can't buy mercy. Dollar bills, Benjamins, ain't going to get mercy into nobody's account. But here's the thing. When you come to God, he gives you mercy. Now, the responsibility is what you pick up and obtain that mercy. In order to be blessed, you're getting mercy. But in order to be a blessing or to be mature, you've got to have mercy. So what, what are you talking about? I said, here's the, here's the deal. You've got to see that's how this works. Mercy comes in from God and goes out to somebody else. But in our humanity, we're like, give me mercy, give me mercy, give me mercy. No, I ain't giving you no mercy. Uh-oh, what happened to the spigot? You see how that works? God just shut it off, right? You were drinking out of the hose. You were drinking out of the fountain. And you said, I'm not having mercy on you, right? Why? Because the principle, the parable in Scripture, right, is, is, is that, what? That, 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 that man came to the other man, and he owed him all this money. 
And he said, you know what? He said, you know what? Uh, take, your, take your debt out, and we're going to cut it in half. We're going to forgive half your debt. And the other man came, and he, he owed him a few dollars. And he said, no, whoa, no, I'm not going to forgive your debt. The same man who was forgiven much, right, what did he do? He turned around and refused to give the guy who owed him a little bit of money and threw him in prison. And the Lord came back and said, you wicked servant, you horrible, despicable, wicked servant. He said, everything, he said, all your debt's going back on you. Whoa, 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 whoa. All that stuff that you forgave and forgot about and wiped out, it's coming back? Yeah. Why? Because you didn't give what you got. And so that's the challenge, but it's also the benefit. And so mercy comes from mercy. So the key to to becoming a merciful person is really collected in the idea of being a broken person. Well, Brother Roberts, you're just really being ridiculous. I didn't come to church to become broken. I came to church because I was broken. We're talking about a different kind of broken. God's going to fix those broken things. But until your spirit, right, What's wrong with our society? What's wrong with humanity? They're not poor in spirit. They still think they can save themselves. They still think the government's going to save them. They still think a politician, right? Why? Because start talking about politics and watch the passion in somebody's life. Oh, my God. Blah, 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 blah. That's what we need masks for, but they need duct tape on the inside. Lots of duct tape because it'll fix anything. We, we get it, right? But the same people aren't nearly as passionate about God. Why? Because they're not convinced that God can fix their situation or that God will fix their But when you're poor in spirit, now I'm reemphasizing what I've said, when you're poor in spirit, right, you understand I can't change, I can't move the needle on my spiritual situation. Only God can do that. And then you're confronted with your own sin. You, that's, why, that's why our world is in a condition it is right now, because they don't, they're not poor in spirit at all. There's no bit of brokenness anywhere. And then when you see the result of your own sin, now it's easy to see. Do you see Brother Moses' sin? Oh, my goodness. I, man, did you see what he did? Wow, that's bad. Oh, my gosh. I'll write that down. Let's call Congress and tell them what he did. My goodness. Right? But when I'm looking at my sin, oh, man, you don't understand why. We want to justify that right? And so when I get to the place where I'm mourning over, this is an attitude, right? A perspective of my sin. And I come to the place where I understand that God is opposed to self-righteousness. God is opposed to me trying to fix this, but he's drawn near when I humble myself in, in a spirit of meekness. That's when mercy can be born into a heart. That's when mercy can begin to flow out of one life and into another. And so you get the power to show mercy from that feeling, from that emotion in your heart that you owe everything you are and everything that you have to divine mercy. But for the goodness of God except for the mercy of God, except for the blessing of Jesus Christ, I am absolutely nothing. The second question I would pose to you this morning is, what is a merciful person like? Studying Scripture, trying to figure out what mercy, what a merciful person looks like, is sometimes kind of difficult. So I want to contrast. I want to show you the opposite. So if I ask you this morning, what's the opposite of fear? How many of you would say the opposite of fear is? 
Huh? Okay. When scripturally speaking, the opposite of fear is love, right? I know pastor has said that like three million times in the pulpit, and y'all are like, uh, 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 right? Okay. And so uh, understand. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. What's the opposite of mercy? What is it, right? Well, obviously, the opposite of being merciful is being mean, right? Anybody? Right? That, that, that makes sense. But let's look and see what, what Matthew and Luke have to say about it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. Speaking of Jesus, and as he sat at a table in the house with a lot of tax collectors and sinners, came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. Now, notice this. The church folk, the Pharisees, saw this, they said to the disciples, now none of them said nothing to Jesus, right? That's mighty mouse. You get the mighty mouse spirit? None of them said Jesus was going. They all went to the disciples. They go around church. Y'all see what pastor did? Why is pastor doing that? They come and ask Brother Roberts. I'm like, you don't want to come ask me that question. Because I'm like, well, why don't you go ask pastor? Uh, easy, right? They, they, they go and say, oh, hey, hey psst, y'all see this? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is your master eating dinner, right? But when he heard it, when Jesus heard it, he said, them that are well, those that are, they don't, they don't need a physician, right? All right, but the whole don't need a physician, but, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Why? Because I came to call the righteous, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, so if I'm going to contrast in Scripture, if I'm going to look in Scripture and say, what's the opposite of mercy? The opposite of mercy is sacrifice. Now, some of y'all just got super excited because Brother Roberts just told us that we don't need to sacrifice anymore. That's not what I said. I'm telling you the contrast in Scripture of mercy is sacrifice, but let me put it in some perspective. This, is, this, uh, this, this quote where Jesus says, I, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, is literally from the Old Testament book of Hosea chapter 6. He said, I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But if you went back in Hosea chapter 6 to verse 4, you could read there that God accuses the people of God that their love for him is like the dew of the grass that's there for a brief time in the morning and then is gone, and all that's left is an empty form of burnt offerings. And so the point that is being made here is that God wants his people to serve him out of, heart, out of a heart of devotion, out of a heart of love, and not out of religious duty. One commentator talked about this passage in, in Hosea chapter, uh, chapter 6, and he said the Hebrew wording is, ver is, is very vague here. He says it can mean dutiful love or it can mean piety or kindness. But it, he broke it down to put it this way. He said it really is showing a love to God or a love for God or a love for man. And so the point is this. Jesus wasn't saying you don't need to sacrifice. What he was saying, he says, I would prefer mercy over sacrifice. Why? Because their religious observances were dead performance. It was just religious duty. They came in, they checked the block. Sunday school, church, tithe, good to go for the week. Done. That's it. Don't have to talk about God no more. Don't have to pick up my Bible. All right, come home, you got that spot, that spot in your house where the Bible goes, and you put it right there, and you don't pick it up again until Wednesday or Sunday. But Jesus said this. He said, look, there's, there's, there's spiritually sick folk here, and I've got the cure. I've got the medicine. But all those Pharisees can see is the ceremonial problem. 
Now, they were worse, they were worse than we were about COVID in the pandemic. They were worried about catching something. They were worried about being contaminated by sitting down and eating with sinners. I thought about that at length, and I thought to myself, honey, don't take this the wrong way. I've never had a meal without a sinner. Because I was there. Most times she was there. My dog was there, and he's the biggest sinner in my neighborhood. My dog has no moral compass. I've got a great dog, but he will steal every dog toy in the neighborhood. I'm not making that up. He stole a two-year-old girl's, he stole two of her soccer balls, and we couldn't figure out where they're coming from. He will steal everything. We've got to make him go away from the dinner table so we're not eating with sinners. We've had that talk many times. You're not a grandchild. Don't do that. He still steals. I, I watch him coming home with some other dog's toy in his mouth, and I'm like, take that back right now. He wags his tail. He don't get it. I don't know. Uh, they're recording this. I'll play this for him so maybe he'll get it. I don't know. But their life was very mechanical. It was an implementation of rules. And something, something really big was at stake here, and they couldn't see it, and they couldn't feel it. And sometimes we're in the house of God, and God is trying to do something. He's trying to pour out mercy in somebody's life. But we're too, listen to me, we're too preoccupied I'm talking to us now. I'm talking about we've gone beyond the challenge. Now we're talking about the benefit. If you're going to be benefited by mercy, you can't be preoccupied with all the things of life that are going to upset the apple cart. I can watch it from up here. I watch people on their phone while I'm teaching or pastors preaching. I watch people while we're worshiping, cutting their fingernails. Dear Jesus, have mercy. Do that at home. Get you a life. I'm telling you, you... And this is what we're talking about. They were enslaved to the insignificant issues of their day. There were ceremonial cleanness. There was eternal things going on. And so what are, what are you talking about? I'm talking about if you're really going to be a beneficiary of mercy, then you have got to pay attention to what's going on around you. What are you talking about? I'm trying to show you that Jesus didn't say sacrifice wasn't important. We'll see that in a moment. What he said was mercy is more important than your ceremonial issue. Mercy is more important than whether pastor said something wrong when he took the tithe and offering or he made a a boo-boo statement or he made the wrong announcement. We can get lost. We can get carried away by the spirit of distraction. When there's a mercy matter going on, that every time we come together, whether it's Sunday school or preaching or Wednesday night, God wants to do something. But here, the, the, the Pharisees, they were like, you, you, can't, you can't eat with sinners. Why? Because you're going to catch something. They weren't sharing forks. As far as I could tell, Brother Jose, I'm not sure what they thought they were going to catch. I'm not sure, but you, you, you read it. It's right there. And they were, they were worried. They were, they were terrified about this. And so the opposite of mercy is the bondage, the religious bondage of insignificance. There are so many things that don't have any true significance. 
What are you talking about, Brother Roberts? We can't all be like you. No, no. But when I get up on Sunday morning, I don't want to be bothered by nobody or no thing. Why? This is the Lord's day. If we could all get that perspective that when we come into the house of God, it's not about It's not about me. It's not always about me. Why? Because mercy's going to flow. Somebody's going to come to the throne. Somebody's going to make it to an altar. Somebody's going to obtain, but they can't pick it up with the Pharisees asking the disciples, what's he doing? Why are they doing that? What is going on? It's all this jargon. It's all this chatter. It's, all, it's the insignificant. And so it goes on and on and on and on and on. And so the religion of Hosea's day was dead, dull, dry, and boring. There was no significance to them. They didn't do, do it with any emotion. It didn't come out of a heart of love. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Verse 23 and 24. Jesus looks at those same Pharisees. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you wonderful, beautiful people. Hypocrites. Why? You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done. He didn't say don't do one, right? But without neglecting the others. Notice this, you blind guide straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. The opposite of mercy are these stinging words that come from the Lord. The opposite of mercy is straining at gnats. What are you, what are you talking about? The King, the King James uh, translates that as, as strain at a gnat. The wording gives the impression of someone choking while trying to fall, swallow a gnat while being at the same time easily able to swallow an entire camel. Now, if, if a bug flies in your mouth, there should be a natural reaction that is not very nice in public, right? I'm not going to be mad at you if something goes in your mouth and you give me one of them, <coughs> or several, and you claw your fingers in your throat. I'm not going to be mad at you. That's just me being merciful because I do it that way. The Good News translation says you strain a fly out of your drink, but swallow a camel. The Greek wording refers to straining water through a cloth to sieve or to remove impurities. I, I could imagine why, because Jewish law forbade them from eating any flying insects. But Steve, I didn't need a law to tell me that. I'm just, okay, I'm just saying, right? But they were strictly observant in this one thing, okay? And, and because their water would likely have had insects and insect larvae in it, very pious Jews were careful to strain their water through a cloth before drinking. I get it, right? And so they didn't want to accidentally, and neither do I, ingest an unclean in insect, right? I get it, right? And so Jesus mentions this practice in his proverb, and then he contrasts it with an overstated picture of someone swallowing an entire camel. Really not going to happen, right? And so Jesus was accusing them of taking great pains to strain out that little gnat and to avoid the offense and the minor thing of something of little importance while at the same time they were tolerating 
or committing great sins. They were swallowing camels of deceit, of, of oppression, of lust, of anger, of bitterness, of all of these things. And so they were very observant, making sure that they, they, they would make sure that water was strained so they didn't swallow an insect, but they paid no attention to the bigger picture. And so when we start talking about mercy, what are you talking about? You, you know, you get offended when somebody acts out of order in church. Oh, I know why they're running the aisle. I know what they did. I know what's going on, right? You get offended because somebody doesn't meet your expectation. Or, right? And at the same time, the same person goes home with unforgiveness and bitterness and lust and envy in their heart, jealousy in their spirit. And this is, what, this is what was Jesus was talking about. The opposite of mercy is when the religious things are more important to you than Almighty God is. We're apostolic. We don't really have a lot of protocol. We can do a lot of things in church, and it's in order. Some things are out of order, and I get it, right? But the point is this, is that in, in mercy, we get upset when somebody acts out of order, but we're, we don't, it, the same rule doesn't apply to us. Does this make sense? I'm trying to help you understand. The greatest enemy to mercy is the preoccupation with things in life that just don't matter. Jesus said, you know what? You know what? You're, you're, you're caught up in the triviality of these little things. That's being unmerciful. Don't neglect the weightier matters. How is it, Brother Jones, that I can come to an altar and get mercy, but mercy is not obtainable in my life? What are, you, what are you talking about? I'm trying to help us here understand that mercy isn't just what you do. Mercy is who you are. It's how you act in every setting. When the Spirit is moving and you're not engaged, you're swallowing the gnat. Why? Because I wonder what my wife made for lunch. I wonder where I'm going to go eat today. Why? And somebody's trying to pray through. Hear what I'm saying. I'm talking to the church now. I'm talking to the people of God. I'm trying to engage you. It's so easy to disengage. It's so easy to get caught up in the trivialities. I've got this to do and that to do and this to do. Listen, it's the day of the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. I make a choice. David said, I will rejoice and be glad in it. We need to say, I'm going to engage in it. I'm going to stick with it until the last amen is said. But you watch in church when the altar call is given and the unmerciful spirit says, that's not for me, and we walk right out the back door. I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm being very honest with this. That's an unmerciful spirit that says, oh, I got what I need. But I don't have enough mercy to stay engaged and pray in the Holy Ghost while you're trying to get what you need. What that means is mercy is not obtainable in your life. When the preacher's preaching or the teacher's teaching and you get up and walk out the door for not a real reason, I'm not picking on nobody, I got nobody or nothing in mind, that's, that's not saying my mercy stops right here. I keep... I want to be able to, does this make sense somewhere? I want to be able to come to an altar and get mercy, but I'm not willing to provide that same amount of mercy. And so God wants us to shake ourselves. He wants us to engage ourselves in spiritual life. Listen, it goes beyond the church. You go home and collapse in front of a television set. Guilty. Some days I don't feel like doing anything else. But here's the truth. Every day of my life, there are weightier matters. 
Every day of your life, there are weightier matters. And so I'm trying to give you a picture of mercy. There's a, there's a real challenge to be merciful, but there's a great benefit to getting mercy. But my mercy is contingent one upon the other. I can't get mercy until I give mercy. And sometimes we think giving mercy is simply saying I forgive you. But giving mercy is being merciful at all times. Giving mercy is finding a place of prayer instead of criticizing somebody. Giving mercy is finding a place and intervening in someone's life spiritually instead of condemning them for what's going on in their life. Does this make sense on some level? I'm trying to explain to you. Mercy, listen, that's how the the Pharisees approached everything. Well, you know, thou shalt not kill, but I can beat them almost to death. That's how they approached that. That's how they looked at the commandment. They took it very literal. They're not dead yet, so I haven't committed a sin. And so mercy, the giving of mercy is much deeper than just simply saying, I'm, I forgive you, or it's okay, or, or let's move on. Giving of mercy is how my attitude is affected every day of my life. Look with me in Luke chapter 10, verse 33. Four dimensions of mercy. We talked about this. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, that man on the side of the road who had been beaten and robbed, he had compassion on him. So let me give you four very quick things that is a clear picture of mercy. Now, I told you, I started this morning with this, that mercy is all about how you have a perception, all about how you see things, right? Here's the thing, verse 33, it sees distress. Mercy is not caught up in itself. Mercy sees distress. As a Samaritan, he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him. Now, listen. The priest and the Levite, or the, the Levite, right? They, the other people, they walked by and they saw the guy. They saw him because the Bible tells us they walked around him. Don't want to get no blood on my shoes. Oh, my goodness. That looks terrible. I just kept on going. So they saw him. But there's a difference when mercy sees something. There's a difference. Why? He saw him. He had compassion on him. Now, there's two other things that go with this. The second one is this. Mercy responds internally with that heart of compassion. When he, had, when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Pity on a person who's in distress. When you see an accident on the road, are you compelled to stop? I, I, I can't tell you if it's right or wrong, but are you compelled to stop? I know, I know Brother Moises is going to stop. That's kind of been trained in his nature as a former police officer. He's, he's going to stop. He's going to get involved, right? But for us, and so, uh, you know, we, we talk about a car wreck, but what about someone's life that is wrecked? Oh, I'll pray for you. Is that, in, is that the same thing as, as the Good Samaritan? The second one was this. He responded externally with practical effort. He went to him bound up his wounds, poured in oil and wine, and put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Look, look at the thing. He bound up his wounds. He poured oil in and wine in. He put him on his own horse and brought him to a place of safety, and he took care of him. 
There's a lot of things going on here that he did. Well, he, he responded internally with a heart of compassion, but he responded externally with practical effort to relieve the distress. The fourth one is this. It acts even when the person in distress is a Samaritan. Even when the person is an enemy. This is a tough one. That's a difficult one. The Bible declares Jesus could have used any person there, but the Samaritans were treated as enemies and as dogs, and they were not legally supposed to interact with this different race, this different culture of people. And this good man, right, right he stopped and involved himself into the situation. What are you talking about, Brother Roberts? I'm talking about this. I don't know everybody who comes to church here. But when somebody comes to church here who's in distress, I need to have the right attitude or the right perspective so that I stay engaged with what's going on in the Spirit. Well, you're supposed to. You're the assistant pastor. Good for me. That and 25 cents won't buy me a cup of coffee. My responsibility is that my mercy is obtainable to the people that I know and love and care about and to the people that I've never met before and don't know. Does that make sense? And it's so easy to become introverted in our perspective and think, man, I'm taking care of my wife, I'm taking care of my children, I'm taking care of my family, I'm taking care of that crazy dog that steals everything. I got them all covered, right? But what about the people that I don't know? I got to see that situation. I got to respond internally from compassion. I've got to respond externally with effort, right? And if there's somebody who's not like me, that's where mercy comes in. I'm talking about an attitude, I'm talking about maturity. Can you say I've always done that or always will do that? Probably not. But the truth is, here's what I'm trying to give us some perspective because here's the reality. If you feel like something is owed to you, that spirit of entitlement, you've missed mercy altogether. Jesus Christ doesn't owe me anything. The person, listen, the church doesn't owe me anything. But mercy is that place. It's the only beatitude where the challenge and the blessing are the same thing. Mercy was never designed for you to hold it in. Mercy was designed to flow through you. Does that make sense? I want to be merciful. I want to exhibit the spirit of mercy, not just at church, but on my job and in my home and in my neighborhood and in my relationships and everywhere that I go and everything that I do. I don't know what distress that person's in. But here's the truth of the matter. If I get caught up in all of the insignificant things, man, I got to, I, I hate Walmart. Oh, with a passion. I love y'all, but if I see you in Walmart, honestly, I probably won't stop and talk to you. It ain't you. I swear, it's Walmart. I just, but here, I'm being transparent, but the rub is this. I can't be so caught up in what I don't like or don't like that I can't see 
with the eyes of mercy that one that's in distress. We're so quick and so easy to condemn and to criticize and to label and all of the things that our world is doing and walk right past that one that needs that mercy to flow through me. Does that make sense? It's a tough one, isn't it? It's hard to be, mer- it's hard to be merciful. But mercy is a weighty matter. And it's an awareness that I've got to have. Let's pray together. I'm out of time. Father, I pray for the heart and mind of every person in this room. God, help us to understand the depth and the privilege and the promise of mercy. Lord, help me to have those eyes of mercy, that perspective, God, that when I see that person in distress, when I see that one who's going through something, to not be condemning or labeling, but God, let me be that one who has compassion and begins to act with effort. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.